as one book, the chapter of the of the book closes. Another one hasn't opened yet, but then the authors of the book kick in your window. They smash yep. in through the window and they say, "Hey, reading the book, huh?" Which part That's did you get That's my favorite to? part of reading any Stephen King book when there's <laughs> uh-huh. a knock on the door and I'm like, "Yeah," and he's like, "How far have you gotten? How far have you gotten? Did you get to the part where the car eats the guy?" Anyway, not, we're here to ask yet. you if you've gotten yet to the part where the guy, the car eats the guy in Tazzy through C season one, and this is everybody's favorite talk show done by the this, the guys who do the actual show. It's the The Adventure Zone Zone, and we're all here we're to talk again, about haters. Back again, please don't hate it. That's the first thing, I guess. Here, wait, wait let me let me rephrase that. Back again, lovers. No, no that's not that's, that's not that's good bad either. too. Oh, that's bad. Uh, we're gonna talk about uh, season one of Taz Ether. See, we got about a billion questions here. It's been, I will say, a while since we wrapped up. We we uh, we recorded a bunch of Ether C's uh, to have them in the chamber, so I could have a bit of time to relocate myself and my family across the country. But I think it's still fresh enough in our gourds. Uh, do we want to do we want to save like the reveal for what we're doing next? Yeah, we'll talk yeah, about Yeah, of course. Or else yeah, people won't listen. I know, That's I, the that, only that reason people of, listen to this shit. That was my oh, way. Oh, like, you are. Oh, so yeah. so we're sassy. hooking them. Yes. Hooking them. Um I love that. Uh, uh, can we we never do this on T-Taz. Uh but how how are y'all feeling now that we're you know about a month and a half out from recording the last episode uh about finishing up the the first season of Ethercy? Um, well, I think you've answered one big question right off the bat by calling it season one. Yeah. So there will be more. Well, we've yeah, talked, we yeah, we've, enjoyed it we've that been much. pretty straightforward yeah, I know. about that. Yeah, but not to me. Nobody told me. Well, we only <laughs> talk to you when we're legally required to by creative law. Um, I would say uh, I feel it's interesting because this is also the first time that we did, you know, like a quiet year and did the world building together. And it's interesting to me because I have a similar feeling that I did when we finished quiet year and went into – uh, Ether C, which was like, there's so much possibility now. Like, I I feel we've never really done a, like, chapter, like, kind of, you know, seasonal uh, arc with our uh, Adventure Zones before. And it's interesting because it feels like it was a complete season, but there's so many more things now that I want to do with it, you know? Yeah, I, I I feel the same way. I'm I'm happy with the way that that season one wrapped up and the choices that y'all made and kind of the 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 weird and sort of abstract ending that your your characters and the world itself kind of had at the end of that first season like it is not hard for me to think of what we could do with a season two uh like the ways that we could build off the ways that the world changed and um sort of what potential still still remains there um that said, I am loving not DMing. It's a it's a it's a sweet treat every time you get that little yeah. You get the chance to kick kick up your feet. It's sort of like a boat, you know, like buying a boat and selling a boat. Where like the second most fun you have DMing is like that first session, and the most fun you have is right after finishing the last one. Yeah, um, Juice Dad, how about y'all? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a cool world. Um, I realized that I was uh, I I was starting to come up against my limits of how much mythology I could keep in my head at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very it was like it's interesting because 
we created such a broad world at the beginning, like it started out feeling very big in scope. Like it started out with like so much to sort of like know and keep track of. Um, and that was, it was easier for me once I sort of like just dialed in on the character and like, she only needed to be an expert in the things that she would interact with. And like, but, uh, before that, when it was like, I needed to keep all of the poly, like secretly, that's part of why, like, um, like Amber always pushed to like, stay out of, uh, conflicts with like the government and other authority figures and everything like that is because I had a little trouble like remembering how all the politics worked. Yeah, right. So I just avoid <laughs> I just said that she didn't like well, she doesn't like politics. It got much easier to keep that stuff straight when you all either murdered or sort of led to the unintentional deaths of pretty much all of the city government leaders. Um, yeah, we cleaned yes. up a lot of excess storylines there, I would say. Just trimmed, wrapped those <laughs> trimmed right. a lot uh, of red tape, so to speak. Well, it was, it was really interesting. You know, we've been playing together for many, many years now, but uh, I think E3C really highlighted for me the difference between the sort of information that Justin and I are able to hold into our separate heads at separate times. Like, at any given point, I could lay out for you big, broad scope, what's going on, who hates who, why are we here, right? But then you said, like, yeah, but right now in this scene, what are you trying to do? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I, like, I feel like Dad is the best at keeping all the big picture. Well, Dad writes things way. down. Well, I, that was the that was the key for me. I kept a Zook, I called it Zook's Log. Now, I just Gross. had this notebook, and I started writing stuff down in it. And originally, it was just to write down names so I could look them up. And, but it also became a log of uh, jokes. And, and it is very important because this is the official record of the seven rules of Ethersea oh, wow. so far. That's so, um, that's so hard to do. Like, uh, it's, just, it's hard for everybody, right? But, like... You are really talking about splitting your mind in twain when you're like, I need to keep the character stuff straight. Like, I need to be my character and portray them moment to moment. But you're also trying to keep all of this character's real world knowledge in your head, and also your the mechanics you want of of Dungeons and Dragons you need yeah. to be thinking about. And also, can you please make it entertaining and funny? <laughs> what I'm saying is, we are stunning talents like sure, honestly once yeah. in a generation um i wanted to say and i'm curious this is my big takeaway for the season this season i tried more than ever to not prepare shit and see where this story took us uh and i would say that that led to a a pretty challenging uh finale like trying to find a way to make it coherent and satisfying and in, in you know whatever ways that we possibly could uh, it was tough trying to figure out a way to do that. I think my biggest takeaway for this season was I love doing it that way. I love the like fully, uh, not fully, but more improvisational uh, big picture storytelling stuff. I do think this is the last season I will want to run that has a mission based structure that has a uh, obviously that was like the whole conceit of the freelance you know, you guys are contractors and you get to pick your jobs. Right. And that was that was very cool. But I also feel like it is hard to do that structure with that kind of storytelling and make it uh, coherent. So, like, I, I think next time I, I do run a season, um, 
I, I do not want it to be like you guys taking on different jobs. I like the, I would be curious what it would look like if you all were just on a, a quest and how you went about it was up to you and the way that the path uh, changes is entirely determined by play. Like I, I, I would be very interested how that would, how that would go. I, I will say, sorry to answer your question. Cause you asked about the, the, the more open-ended structure. I will say that it was the only thing that was challenging about it is like, you know, when you go into a movie and you like read the tagline of the poster and you like have the vaguest idea of what the movie is Mm -hmm. when we were doing these more open-ended things, you know, compared to balance where like you sort of knew that you were doing a fast and furious or you kind of knew that you're doing a, an Agatha Christie thing, whatever it is, we were sort of like, like having the agency to sort of decide along with you what kind of thing it's going to be was pretty intimidating at first. I mean, it's because it's like, I didn't know what kind of, is this the kind of vibe where like I can kill someone or is it not that kind of, are we doing, being sneaky? Yeah, like, you know, uh, having it be open ended like that, um, I felt like a lot more confident about the midpoint of each arc, where I was like, "Okay, I know what it is, I know what we're doing, like let's let's go from there." Which isn't like bad or good; it's just a different sort of uh, that freedom made for a different sort of challenge. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, let's do questions. Travis, did you have one you wanted to lead off with? Um, yeah, let's just start with the first one because I like it. This is from a listener who asked, "How surprised was Griffin when that Nat one was rolled?" I assume you mean the Nat one. That dad brought the uh, sallow back with yes. us. Is that yeah, that one? Was that planned to be something the party would have to deal with uh, as an in-game threat, or is it something that would have happened without the one being rolled? Uh, it would not have happened without the the one being rolled. That was like uh, I had a few of the bigger beats that we kind of touched on in the quiet year setup episodes that were sort of attached to those that random encounter table. And I wanted the one to be like pretty bad. Uh, and for for me, that that was the sallow. Like for me, that was the, the way that the sallow comes back is if you do as bad a role on this, this board that incorporates like these different gameplay mechanics, uh, I then then I would hit you with the sallow. I did not think it would be. Was that the second roll? Was that the second Believe random that's encounter? Right. That feels right. Yeah, to no. Me. I I I genuinely uh, I I didn't like that that was happening. That because it was like we're just we are still you know this crew is still coming together and uh, we're still kind of getting our footing with this season. But at the same time, like there is no way we could have re-rolled that. There is that that would have betrayed, I think, the whole, um, you know, the whole ethos that we were going for with with uh, we didn't fake a single role this season. I feel very good about that. You know what I found Uh, really interesting about it? What was like we set out at the beginning saying like these are just three regular people. These are not like three chosen ones. These are not like three, you know, epic beings. And then it was like those kinds of roles were like, well, now hold on. Right, because we had to do all of it like it came so early and so big and us dealing with that shit and being tied to it made the characters more important to the set. Like, I mean, I yeah, there were character choices made and there was stuff that we did, but 
there was stuff like that where it's like the story is going to move quicker than yeah. Griffin had planned. There was and also that was really an, an, interesting. There was an element of like writing a check about a like pandemic storyline, and then yeah. like looking at that check and being like, I do not have enough finances in the <laughs> bank to cover this check to do a uh because like I don't know I I did not want that especially after it happened and we all kind of reacted to the role and the audience reacted to sort of the the reveal and we're like eh, not crazy about a a pandemic storyline right now that's not particularly fun um and so it 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 I tried to soften that as much as I could while sort of more focusing on Cambria and that that whole element of uh of the story um but how was it worded on your chart on your random encounter chart what what did one say it said after dad rolls this then <laughs> uh the ship inadvertently brings the sallow back to founder's wake okay all right. Yeah, there it is. Wow. Um, and I kind of knew, like, wh- I I had this big board that had like what the sallow was. This like you know f- fish evolutionary forced fish evolution thing, uh, and sort of tying that back into you know the Cambrian explosion, which was a uh, you know the number of people who messaged me and were like, "Damn, I didn't even know you were a Coheed and Cambria fan." It was not <laughs> that. It was the other thing. Uh, that that I you know had that idea in place, but yes, that was the 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 what was on the actual table. All right, how about another question? Okay, go ahead. Um, I, I'll do this one really quick. Griffin, did you know that this is from Sierra? Did you know that uh, this is where the ending was going from the beginning, or did it just come to you after a few missions? It didn't. I it nothing came to me. I feel like it was entirely the the choices that the that the boys made. I feel like uh tying the I I kind of figured out like okay, blink sharks, what if blink sharks are from like another world and we are like the vestiges that come back and wreck that world and so they're on a mission to stop us. Uh specifically Amber and have that be the source of the beef, like stuff like that. But I mean, the ending that Devo had I kind of came up with between the penultimate episode and the final episode when Travis decided to change something. Uh, yes. I was like really racking my mind of like, how does that work? Uh, I got my, was, my favorite Griffin reaction, uh, which was when my character does something and Griffin goes, huh? Yeah. And like, and I'm like, <laughs> Oh yeah, got him. Yeah. I mean, really all that stuff was pretty late. I, I had, I did not, uh, I, I had nothing planned. I really did. And 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 that was on purpose. So I mean, we discussed yeah. going in. I mean, you told us going in. I I don't have this big long, you know, plot line all laid out. Let's just see where the story takes us. Yeah, that that answers a few questions. There's people who asked about like Devo's alternate timeline shit. Like that that was that was purely that was in the moment. I had a question about that because from from how long out were you intending for Devo to be like the voice, the call and stuff like that? Was that like I remember like when we're recording that scene and like the machine was open and I was like, am I supposed to do it? Because I didn't want to do it if I wasn't supposed to do it. But then yeah. I was like, I think I was supposed to do it. I think it was when I was like putting together the last mission. Um, I'm trying to, okay, so here's, here's, uh, we, 
re-recorded, I think, only one bit the whole season, which I feel pretty good about that hit rate. And it was uh, the—I I forget the specifics of it, but it was while you all were sort of investigating, you're doing the murder mystery. Mm-hmm. And there was originally this uh, scene where you all went to, uh, like, confront— you thought that um, Orlean was at the schoolhouse, and so you go there, and then there was like an explosion, which is not fun. Uh, and it, it it was it kind of just got away from us a little bit. And I think yeah. the the revision for that was this mission where you go to the coral um, tower where Orlean is trying to connect with the reconnect with the past, which was always kind of his arc for the season. Is that like he's he made some decision when he was called away that he regretted and has spent time trying to fix that uh and so i think that that uh you being the voice kind of came out of that revision that okay. realizing like oh okay if he has a thing that he is trying to use to communicate with himself in the past like what if and, and we have this whole thing about how devo is a convincing speaker like those two things kind of just connected and 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 that was it um yeah uh amanda asked how much of devo's section in the epilogue was planned out uh, ahead of time. Uh, all those big reveals were figured out on the spot, Amanda. I did not know any of that, except that I do know that Devo is a CERN. Other than that, everything else was like, I'm figuring that this keep out. In the show? Could you revealed in like the midnight hour. I can't remember if that, I, I did that make it. Everyone else ever? kept referencing it like okay. in my Twitch chat and stuff. So okay, I think so. Right. Um, Juice, what about this one? Did Justin have regrets about sending Amber through the portal? I feel like Amber's question of Kodira of did I make a mistake was more like Justin asking Griffin relative to the gameplay choice. Did you have a discussion after the penultimate episode about whether or not to keep that action similar to destroying the crystal in balance or was this not enough out of line to consider that? That's from Randy. No, it was like I was thrilled with that. I mean, it was like you set up something that is like this character who has always been sort of like looking out for herself and in many ways sort of like fearful, you know, somebody who's making it from moment to moment and doesn't uh, necessarily have a heroic instinct. Um, But like they were in, she was like in the place at the time where her exact thing her exact lifetime had led up to like this moment the fact that there was like she ran out of uh, she was designed to fight blink sharks there was a door to a world full of purpose right of like she didn't have the interpersonal relationships with like so many people back home where it was like as hard of a decision like this is what has driven her her entire life so like the fact that there was an opportunity to do something that would help others like save worlds, but also like fulfill her, I, you know, her individual purpose. I think it was like, a, I, I felt great. About what it. I really loved about that was that this was a, a moral quandary that I wanted to pose to you all in some way, right. Of like making, setting up that this world has been destroyed by, this power that came from the vestiges who traveled from, who tried to escape from their world. Like if I pose that question to you all, would you make the same decision? And it's so 
cool to me how the that there was another factor that came into the into play at the very end there, right before you jumped into the portal, which is that you realized that if you did not stop Coda, Coda was going to destroy the tower, which was Zooks, right? And so, if, if unless I'm misremembering, once you realized like if I don't get if I don't get Coda out of here, then Zooks is going to be destroyed by Coda, you mm-hmm. jump through the portal. And I thought yeah. that was fucking rad. Like that was, it, it's a, uh, it's a less sort of like explicit recognition of like how the relationships between these characters like grew and changed. Cause there was like animosity and um, not animosity, but you know, yeah. dis- disagreements with the the friction like, between the characters. Yeah. But then when faced with like, oh, Zooks is dead if I don't do something about this. Well, here we go. Like that was very that was the highlight of of Amber's like I think growth for for me and it and it says more about the sacrifice coming in that in that regard to me I thought you know show that Amber felt that she had to do what she had to do regardless of you know the everybody wasn't like sitting around the campfire holding hands singing Kumbaya in every episode I. I also, and I'm sorry, I always hate, in a sense, I hate talking this way because I feel like it attaches too much, like, introspection to the work that we do. Um, And I'll speak for myself here that, like, I don't necessarily love talking about practice in this way because it's sort of like, I don't know, it seems sort of hokey to to feel like I should. I I like working without a net. I like making a decision in in the moment that... I don't exactly know what happens as a result of it, right? Like, I, I and I think to a point, and I, this isn't just Taz, is everything. I think to a point that probably makes me tough to to work with sometimes is like I get really creatively energized by throwing myself into something that like I don't actually have a path forward for. Like that's what gets me pumped. So like when I see an opportunity to do something like that where I don't know the next scene that follows it, like. I will very often, uh, you know, head that way because yeah. I I find it very energizing. You like that fear, baby? Yeah, I do. I do. I have this question, and so did a lot of people. And this is from Buddy and many others. Dad, why oh why didn't Zooks tell Amber about his interactions with the Blink Sharks? Well, I have two answers for that. Um, one, I was I tried to play Zooks as very. Uh, naive, very impressionable. Um, and I think that became a big part of his character, the fact that he was could be so easily swayed or so easily impressed by other people. Um, and I really tried to play him like somebody who was, uh, you know, wasn't a real deep thinker or devious, I think, I tried to play him as very honest. Um, I think I've I've said it before that when I was, you know, I keep things on my desk as a visual aid to help me, you know, keep the character in mind. And one of the one of the things I've got is I've I've got a, um, a Funko Pop of Commander Data, you know, from uh, Next Generation. Is it an officially licensed Funko Pop? Because it is a real okay. one. Yes, you've sent it is us, not one of the, You've it, sent us unlicensed Funko Pop. You sent 
me a, a Mary Poppins Returns Funko Pop of uh, of of Mary Poppins and also Lynn, and they were unlicensed Funko Pops. And I felt really? very guilty. Yeah, you got them for Henry. Um, I thought those and, were licensed. Well, then what are you bitching about? <laughs> Well, we played with him in the bath, and he called them mommy and daddy for a, lo- for a long time. You though. wish, buddy. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but you know I, that that childlike. You know, I I tried to play that childlike. It it was funny. We designed these characters completely separately, and yet you know there were elements of uh, of Zooks and of Devo of you know fresh out of the nest. Yeah. You know, new to the world kind of thing, but I I think there was enough difference in Oh those. yeah. But that did, um, but so how did that influence not telling Amber? It, okay. I went back and looked through the Zook's log that I talked about and went back to that scene and I've got written here very clearly don't tell. And if I mean if I'm remembering right, they charged Zooks with killing Amber or right? or killing all of the bleach Coral, which would, yeah, yeah, and so I don't think and and the, I, they instructed him not to to tell Amber, and I think that my my first explanation is that he he was never going to do either one of those two things, right? But he didn't want to violate their trust by telling Amber. My second reason is because the one thing happened in one episode, and by the next episode, I forgot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. that's fair. Okay. Um, so I'm just trying to go back and recall, but I can remember being in the moment of 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 thinking that Zooks would think, well, why would why tell Amber this? You know, maybe it was wrong, but I mean, I just I just didn't think. I don't think he gave it any credence whatsoever. So it never didn't occur to his his very you know one plain mind at all. I have I have a question here from Madison. I'm wondering how having an editor impacted the making of Ethercy. How much did or does Rachel know about the story? Do her editing decisions ever affect the course of the story? P.S. Rachel, you killed it. Love the extremely high quality of the editing, music, and sound effects. That's from Madison Sheher. Uh, so Rachel and I had meetings sort of before the season started to talk about, because this Rachel, I think, started shortly before... It was very close. It was very close to the beginning yeah. of Ether Sea. Um, and so there was a lot of discussion about sort of like tone and vibe and really granular production level stuff of like in past seasons, like what have been the times that uh, we have used music or sound design in the past, which has been like very, very, very sparing, I would say. Um uh, I mean, having uh, having Rachel as an editor for all our shows has uh, impacted, I think, all of the shows very positively in a, in a lot of ways. Here, here, and and uh, straight up, like uh, my sort of workload. Like we had a baby, it's a boy. Uh, oh, you beat me to it. Yeah, I, I'll never let that one go by without uh, catching it. Uh, also kind of around the time that I think pre-production or something like that started. I, I, it, the last year has been a fucking blur. Um, year and a half has been kind of a blur. Uh, so the timetable doesn't track a lot. In terms of like story stuff, we didn't really have like meetings about that so much after the 
you know, after the Quiet Year episodes ran. Aside from, you know, Rachel and also I'll say Amanda and Sarah uh, do a lot of like first first listens, like let us know uh, if the vibe for something is bad or if uh, there is a story inconsistency or uh, you know, if we said the wrong name here or there, they are really excellent at giving us the heads up in that so that either we can fix it or they can fix it. But the the story was not something that I really could even give her a big heads up on as we as we went, like before we started recording, um, because it was because it wasn't particularly planned. Um, th- and that's a tall order. I fully reckon like that's not usually how production and post-production works on like narrative things and uh i i i cannot commend her enough for um the the work that that she did under those circumstances Hello, it's me, the internet's Travis McRoy. Yes, that's right. Powerful influencer, Travis McRoy. You know, people are always asking me, Travis, how did you become such a powerful influencer in the world? Well, I'll let you in on my secret. It's Squarespace. Yes, that's right. Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything. Your products, content you create, or even your time. What what influencer doesn't do that? I ask you. I'll wait. That's right. None of them. They all do that, and you can do it with Squarespace. Okay, here's uh, just as an aside. You can also use Squarespace even if you're uh, not an influencer, um, and even if the idea of being an influencer uh, makes you throw up a little bit in your mouth, don't worry, Squarespace is still useful. With Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system from Squarespace, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. With Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system from Squarespace, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. Start with the best-in-class website template and customize every design detail with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. With Squarespace scheduling, clients can quickly view your availability and book their own reservations, appointments, or classes, and you can sell products on an online store. Whether you sell physical or digital products, Squarespace has the tools for you. So go to squarespace.com adventure for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use offer code ADVENTURE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have an Aura frame here at our house, and we primarily use it to show pictures of our kids and the fun stuff that we do. And my favorite thing about it is that it's so easy to upload pictures on that as soon as we get home from doing something fun, we just immediately put the pictures up there so we don't forget to do it. You know, because I, I've tried, we try to do picture frames and stuff in the past, and then we never remember to put them on. But with Aura, it's so easy to load it up that it has become kind of a a digital scrapbook more than anything else. So if you have been looking to get the pictures that are trapped in your phone and set them free in a way that other people can see them, might I recommend Aura Frames. They're stylish, they're easy to use, you're gonna love it. And it was named the number one digital picture frame by Wirecutter, and for a good reason. It's so easy to set up, and they have different frame options, all kinds. And the best part is it comes with unlimited storage. So 
Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frames with code ADVENTURE. That's A-U-R-A, frames.com, promo code ADVENTURE. Terms and conditions apply. Chicago, we're coming to you. We're coming for you. We're coming at you. And we're also coming to C2E2. And we're doing live shows. All a bunch of stuff in April. April 24th, we're going to be doing My Brother, My Brother and Me, which is nearly sold out. And Taz, which is selling out fast. So do not wait. April 25th is Taz. April 24th is My Brother, My Brother and Me. April 26th through the 28th, we're doing C2E2. Schedule to be announced. You can get your C2E2 badges now, but you do not need a badge to attend the live shows. Tickets for those shows are on sale at bit.ly slash Tours. All the information is there. Go check it out. Also, we've got a newsletter in case you've been wondering what's the best way to keep up with our new tour dates and announcements and stuff like that. Go to bit.ly slash newsletter. And of course, check out all the merch over at macroymerch.com. A lot of great stuff. Fungalore sticker pack, um, naming of the year poster. Uh, we've got the little sailor man pin and 10% of all proceeds this month go to the foundation for black women's wellness. So go check it out. Macroymerch.com. And now back to the show. Hi everyone, I'm Ella McLeod. And I'm Alexis B. Preston. And we host a show called Comfort Creatures, the show for every animal lover, be it a creature of scales, six legs, fur, feathers, or fiction. Comfort Creatures is a show for people who prefer their friends to have paws instead of hands. Unless they are raccoon hands, that is okay. That is absolutely okay, yeah. Yes. Every Thursday, we'll be talking to guests about their pets, learning about pets in history, art, and even fiction. Plus, we'll discover differences between pet ownership across the pond. It's going to be a hoot on Maximum Fun. Hi, everybody. My name is Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Dr. Sydney McElroy. That, that is true. It's important in this context because we host a medical history podcast called Sawbones. Oh, I thought we were going to. We should have worked on that. Sawbones. Sawbones isn't afraid to ask the hard-hitting questions. Like, are vaccines as safe and reliable as they want us to believe? Yes. Do I have to get a flu shot? Yes. Uh, okay. Is science a miracle? No. We have a lot of great history for you and a lot of laughs. And sometimes the history is so bad that there's no laughs, but... You'll learn something, you'll feel something. And it's always Sawbones. That's right. Every week on MaximumFun.org. I want to ask you all... Roberto asked this question specifically to Travis, but I'm curious... I think it works for all of you. At any point, did you, as a player, suspect Brother Seldom in the murder mystery at the end? It's interesting because uh, you mentioned the one thing we re-recorded. Yes. And I feel like within there, there was a conversation where Devo like, said to Orlean, like, there's only a couple of people who would be powerful enough to compel her to do something. And it would be like me or seldom or you. So where were you? I think there was something like that that I said. And like Orlean reacted to it in a way that there was a part of my brain that was like, huh. But also, one, we didn't end up using that stuff. So I threw it out, right, of my brain. Right. But then also like, 
I want to say, I and this might be just because of how often uh, Diva squared off against him. I think Orlean is one of like my favorite kind of quote unquote villains from any Taz we've done because like I didn't like him, but I also like every time he showed up, I'd be like, oh fuck yeah, right? Like there was I I loved like his interactions with Devo and vice versa. Uh, but so I like, I never trusted him, but there was a certain point of like Devo. He was one of like the few people Devo had known all his life. Yes. So it was also like a little bit of comfortable too, which was so I understand weird. that. Yeah. Um, to, to walk through the sort of seldom revealed, I, I, I didn't, I was kind of hoping there would be another scene with seldom where he could kind of explain like, obviously, murder is bad, folks. You don't need me to tell you that. Um, but this, like, belief of, well, if Coda ever finds out where Hominine is, like, Coda will blow that city out of the sky. And so it is of the, uh, you know, if he is a whisper, which Travis kind of set up as, like, the spies of of Hominine, uh, protecting that information would be of the utmost importance, right? And so if... Um, if the hand of guidance was, you know, had found out from this machine where Hominine was and wanted to sort of like reconnect with the flock, uh, and that that is why Brother Seldom did what he did because he was afraid that if Coda finds out where the city is, he will completely destroy it and all of the like, you know, innocents that also live there. Um, I also, as long as we're mentioning things that uh, straight up weren't in the story, uh, Jules asked, when the Coriolis crew ran into the butt munch slash gut punch crew after saving the city from Cambria, it seemed implied that the gut punch crew had done something significant for the city as well. What were the butt munchers up to during the Cambria arc? Will that be a <laughs> significant thing in the second season? Also, for the second season of Ether Sea, would you consider setting it in another contingency plan than Founder's Wake, e.g. Hominine Flying City or the Delmer City in the mountains? Okay, those two things are connected. Uh if I, I have not talked to you three about this, so this will be fun. One of the like potential storyline things that I had sort of on the vision board was uh, the Delmer necropolis, right? When the world falls, the Delmer like build a city inside of a mountain. Um, and so there was this one mission that you all did not choose at the beginning. I think it was the Alloyed Menace. And it was, there's all this metal, all this scrap metal that keeps like showing up in this spot. Uh, and it's your job to go find out what's going on there and destroy the, you know, big beast or whatever that keeps armoring itself with this stuff. Uh, that metal was coming through like underground, like cave river, like cenotes uh, from the Delmer Necropolis. They are trying to like escape, but keep getting like smashed up in this in this cenote as they try to escape. And so like uh, I I thought that one potential arc could be finding a way to get there which could have been like a like incredibly dangerous surface expedition to the mountains uh and I don't even know what that would look like. Uh but y'all didn't take that mission and they did. And so I had this idea of like, is there some way that at some point during the season, if we need some vine to swing to where you all get brought in, like the gut punch has done great work to 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 reconnect us with our kin. Um 
but it just it just never happened. And now I think things have kind of moved on past that chapter in Founders Wake's history. Uh, and so I, I think in a second season, we'll definitely want to touch on what happened with those other cities. But uh, I, you know, I think the, the butt punch missed their missed their window. Um, Justin, Travis and Clint, did you find yourselves starting to conceptualize your characters during the quiet year gameplay as the world and its inhabitants were being fleshed out? Or did you start that process after the prologue was done? For example, did Clint know he wanted to play a Brian R as soon as they were introduced? And how long after creating old Joshie's school for psychic blink shark fighting, did Justin decide it would be his character's alma mater? Um, for me, I will say, and I think we all agree that, that quiet year was a blast. Yeah. We, we loved playing that game and creating that world. And just so you know, going in with any kind of intentions in that, to massage things into what you want does not work. I I had it it just doesn't because of the way the game plays and because you're you're you know it's it's turn-based and people are coming up with their own ideas. The only thing I thought going in was I really wanted to play a Warforged. I started reading about Warforged when we were uh, doing graduation and I knew I wanted to do a Warforged. It wasn't until we got into this whole realm of it being underwater I realized Wait a minute, how is that going to work? Uh, a war forged underwater. So I kind of put it to the back of my mind. And and Griffin, you even cautioned us, don't don't start coming up with characters yeah. until we're done with Quiet Year. I so, said that, you know, but also kinda, when you started talking about this idea of like coral suits. The magic coral. I well, was like, oh, yeah. fuck yeah. Like dad's on, dad's on some shit. Uh, and at that point. When we started talking about the magic infused coral. Yeah. I said, okay, there's a material that might work. Um, and so it, that was tucked in the back of my mind. To be honest with you, um, I even went so far as to to say uh, Ampersand 5, I thought, hey, that'd be a cool character name. That, I, I, you know, to, to go with that because, um, you know, it was going to be Phineas and five other Einar. Right. So and and five made sense. Um, but you know, I I I really tried very hard not to because it's not possible. It's not possible to steer uh, uh quite your into anything. Right. Juice, what about uh your part of the question about uh, Joshie's school for second? Uh, I just right. thought that was the I the that place seemed the most interesting to me. I I I found the idea really funny and I like the idea of I like the idea of someone making up something and then it having like devout followers 25 years later. I think that's <laughs> I think that that's really powerful. Well, it also um, let us keep Joshi in the picture in a way that was right. delightful. Uh for right. me for me specifically it was delightful. Yeah, I always love scenes between Joshi and and her. Uh, for uh, Devo, it was a combination of like two card flips in Quiet Year that I got. Of like one was uh, like a traveling a troop of performers comes to town, and then like uh, the religious leader uh, comes to town that brought uh, the hand of guidance. Yeah, and so then I started thinking about like what if there was a child of a member of the like traveling troop yeah. that ended up being raised by the church. And like, I forgot that, about that element of it. What? Um, I forgot about that element of it. The Devo was 
adopted from the traveling troop. We never really c- circle back to that really at all. Yeah. Um, and a lot of, just cause I, I don't know if it was ever clear. Devo's mom was with him for like seven years at the church and then one day disappeared and the rest of the time raised by the church alone. Just cause I think that there was some time. I remember saying at one point, like for 17 years or something. And then seeing someone be like, isn't he 23? I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that timeline was weird. That was yeah. why. Um, there's a lot of questions. I want to try and knock them all out in one sort of broad thing, asking to share like the random event table and like a campaign setting book uh, and like all of the sheets that we use to track ship stats and vendor inventory and all that stuff. Uh, and I, I, I want to say that for the uh, I know a lot of people asked about the random event table. I definitely want to keep using that. So maybe someday, but not. I, I don't want to share that right now because there's a lot of work to come up with a hundred things. Um, it's, some are bad, huh? Some are you quite bad, duds. yeah. Well, now you got to have some duds on there, there right? There's some real like, stinkers yeah. in there. Um, <laughs> I will say that the uh, ship like worksheet uh, is available at bit.ly slash MFD for Max Fun Drive, MFD. 2022 bonus goals uh, because it was a max fun drive uh, bonus goal for this past drive. So if you want to see all that stuff and there's a lot on there, there's a lot of, uh, I think it's also got like the, the different vendors and, and all that stuff. But uh, I don't, I don't think anything else is ready for, for prime time yet. Uh, this one was for me and I didn't want to miss out on it because it gives me opportunity to dunk on myself. Um, how did you end up coming with some of Amber's lingo? Did you have specific words they came from or were they off the dome? Guppy, I get, but what about Keppa or Clasper? That's from Ori, they, them. Um, I thought it was a fun idea. I liked the idea of, you know, um, the ex- anytime there's like slang in a fantasy world, I feel like it helps it be more lived in, you know, stuff like uh, the Mandarin and, serenity or like the adaptations of earth profanity that you see on like Battlestar or stuff like that. Like, I think that that is uh, a lot of fun. So I started doing that with her and I, it was like the absolute height of arrogance to think that I would be able to like keep track of that mm-hmm. and, and implement it while I was recording, like is absolutely unhinged. So it, it kind of fell by the wayside. Is the is the point I don't that think I'm that's making? Fair. I don't think it. Well, did. I still think about like Kelsey Guppy, like Keppa. Clasper is the best because Clasper. Do you want to tell what a Clasper is? Clasper is a shark penis. That's it. That's <laughs> it. That's what a Clasper is. It's a shark penis. Uh, Kelsey is Kella is probably nonsense. I don't know. Um, uh, but Sai, I am certain, came from Gunslinger. Is where like that part of you know you you don't get to choose what parts of your brain make up words for yep. you. So that, that it was Gunslinger Day that day apparently, <laughs> and I brought in Sai from that. Uh, Keppa sounds like keep up. That's that, and that's why that one is the way it is. So yeah, I had intended for that to be much more um, robust and filled out, uh, but it, 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 then I, then it became. But I ended up. I know. I think I think it was perfect the way it was because it was yeah. like seasoning. Rather than yeah, the things like, like being too much, like I never had trouble keeping too much paprika on the sandwich. Right, yeah. exactly. I, th- I I I loved that part of of Amber's uh, like role in the story. Well, cool, I'm glad. Glad to hear it. 
Um, so this is a question because I wanted to talk about in the Cambria arc flashback. Did Griffin and Justin know that Justin's character would be the saboteur ahead of time from Katie? <laughs> probably the probably. What are we talking about? Remind me. The, this is the yeah. When we go to Phineas's, yes, yeah. Dad played Phineas, and you and Travis played uh, like Phineas's associates, and you go to Cambria's city in the bottom of the sea. Uh, oh, I, so we're gonna talk about this. I told okay, Justin good. he was the saboteur before we started recording and so tried to like back channel with him during that arc, which in retrospect is a bad idea uh, because it basically led to keeping dad and Travis like purposefully in the dark in a way that we have not done before, nor was a way that I think they knew was possible. Yeah. We had to stop at one point because like dad it was, was a bad fight. It was a it was bad. Dad was doing uh dad was trying to like hold it together with the like narrative stuff that we knew that Phineas had to do. Travis was uh playing his character and like trying to like uh ha have an have an impact and be this like very um coherent character. And those two things were kind of at odds with with, with what Justin and I were doing, right? Which is Inherently, they were at odds because Justin was trying to fuck everything up, and I was trying to encourage both things to happen while not giving away Justin's thing. It was it straight up like it was. We got to the end of it, and it was uh, one of the worst, I would say, play experiences we had had because nobody really felt like they were getting a fair end of the stick like we weren't playing we aren't playing the game or recording the show in the way that we always had um and so while i think that it is conceptually a neat idea i i definitely would have done it differently if we could go back and do that bit again i think it ended up being a really important object lesson in like the difference between like understanding the difference between like player knowledge and character knowledge right because i think that's the thing that we ended up getting to is like, I think the reason it was hard to do both those things at the same time is that without that connection with, without the player knowledge, we couldn't facilitate the story that was trying to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I think that's what we ended up talking about is like, I think it ended up being a really cool kind of story concept. And I was playing this flashback and, oh man, I love, uh, everything from them like running to the ship trying to escape on yeah. is like some of my favorite shit. Which is, had. I think, when we had to stop and be like, okay, so here's what's happening. <laughs> we have right. to, we have to, that's what the secret, I think uh, around the time that the reveal happens is when we had to kind of stop and say like, okay, so here's what me and Justin have been doing. We've been having sneaky texts in the background. Yeah, um, it, it really, this is such an, like doing what we do, especially with Taz, is such an exercise in trust and like trusting your collaborators that like everyone's working towards the same thing and that you're going to be generous when you need to be. And I, I feel like that completely with the best of intentions, if the, it hit so bad, cause it felt like a betrayal of that trust. Like yes. we were not all creating something in the moment, but we're rather trying to lure two people into 
a <laughs> a trap that we had created outside of them. It's actually it's actually unhinged. Now, yeah. <laughs> it's actually pretty 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 demented. Actually, um, it would be equivalent to if we were recording my brother, my brother, and me, and I just started chanting a thousand character long series of numbers, and it's like, well, this is the show now, I guess. Okay, did we join okay. in, or is it okay. pick our favorite number? Or? Is that the one where I did the Ted Lasso voice? Did yeah, you, I don't you know. Did kind of do a Ted doing? Lasso voice for that? Yeah. You tell me. Well, then know. I enjoyed it. Okay, good. Um, can we talk about? We have a few questions here about uh, the like character relationships, and I'm curious uh -huh. how you all felt about it because the relationships between, specifically, I would say Devo and Amber was definitely more contentious than we have had in past seasons, and Zooks there as a kind of like almost peacekeeper mediator like we've we have not had that before but at the same time i don't know that we've tried to play characters like the three characters you all played this season and i'm curious like what what your thoughts on that experience was like and like how how those relationships kind of turned out with amber and devo we came to that conflict fairly late and the in the in the arc i think and the source of that was this I found Devo personally, from my perspective, to be so like, like very annoying, like very frustrating to be with, and like a frustrating character who's always like shooting them, his mouth off and and like doing things that I found very frustrating. And then when I sort of like casually expressed this to Travis, he was like, "Well, yeah, that's like." what I'm doing. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that is, it is, it is a feature, not a bug. So f what I, what I did then was like, allow the personal annoyance and frustration that I had with Devo to manifest through Amber. And like, it took me way too long to p sort of pick up on what Travis was doing with Devo. And that, you know, it's also a trust thing. I probably should have just like tried to buy in a little bit more uh, earlier on, but like, that is certainly a, um, uh, you know, why we came to that uh, a little bit later is just because I didn't exactly pick up on that that from the beginning. Um, a lot of uh, the Devo frustration with Amber is, uh, I, I saw Devo very much as like an exposed nerve kind of thing. Um, and Devo just really needed, uh, or not needed, wanted, uh, a mother figure approval thing, um, especially coming off of his relationship with uh, with the Hand of Guidance. And that is not Amber's deal at all. No. Yeah, so uh, Devo started to get frustrated that Amber wasn't giving him what he needed. It was, I think, this thing of, like, they're just different people. And I actually really like that. Let me make this clear, is, like, that frustration, at least for me, never extended like into the way me or Justin or dad or anybody was playing it. Right. I think it was just like we from the beginning, we never determined like, why are these three people together? It was almost like, well, we were all just in the waiting room at the same time. And they worked well together in that, like the jobs got done in some form or fashion. But like. I think that these people felt more like coworkers 
than some of our past teams of people did. And yeah. I kind of really liked that. Like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with yeah. it. Yeah. There's no, I, I, at the same time, I understand people's, uh, the, the folks who did not rock with that. I am not, okay. I have no patience for the people who like used it as a, a springboard for, you know, uh, arm armchair psychiatry on our familial relationship. Uh, Ooh, I, I, people do that. I have no patience for that. I, I get Gross. not wanting to listen to a show that has that that friction. Right? There were times for me as the GM where that friction would serve as narrative friction. To like, you know, there were times where I felt like you all were not necessarily working together to forward the mission because this friction existed between your characters. But at the same time, like, yeah, that is, that's how friction works, right? Uh, so like, I get, I understand the people who did not uh, necessarily enjoy that part of it, but it, it, it like anybody who thinks that it was something more than that or some reflection of our, the way that we make this show together, uh, like could could not be. I would hope you would give us a little bit more credit than that at at this point in the game. We're but we were raised Baptist folks. If we ever have personal problems, you will never You'll know. Never with know. The, with, <laughs> get the get the Hubble. Get the world's strongest microscope. It does not matter. You will not see it. Will we see it in each other? Perhaps I mean, not. I don't know. You, what chance do you have? My wife doesn't know how I feel half the time. You're gonna. <laughs> Through your headphones? Okay. In narrative, and as, you know, since this is a storytelling podcast, um, I mean, we we have to, I, I think we take it on ourselves when we embody these characters that we, you know, I think if it's all goody-goody, everybody gets along, everybody's holding hands, I think it gets boring after a while. The whole, the word is conflict, and there has to be conflict in a story. Now, you may not like interpersonal conflict, but to me, I think that was a defining I, I mentioned it earlier. The fact that, yeah, we we weren't all best buds, but when it came time to make a decision about the welfare of the others in the group, I think that gave those decisions more impact. Yeah. I mean, I think it it made it, you know, mean and this more. is the season where I think that that tone makes the most sense. You have taken the remnants of humanity and like forced them all to live in a very small place. I think that it, the the friction existing this season is is it it tracks. I I also think uh at least I won't speak for the other three, but for me, I was playing this as a much longer kind of game, and I think inspired by Quiet Year, where like I wasn't trying to rush like any kind of character development or inter character development. And like, if there had been a moment where the uh, tensions between, um, you know, Devo and Amber had come to a head, I think we would have played it. It just didn't happen. But it also then provided for me when we got to like the end of season one of this thing of like, I'm gonna kill a god one to stop magic and two so I can get more blood to open this thing so that Amber and I can finally figure this shit out. <laughs> like that was yeah. like Devo's main driving goal is like, yeah, I want to save Amber, but mostly because like. There's unresolved shit we got to figure out. Right. To me, it's not done. Like, that's the tension is part of the inspiration for continuing the action. Uh, see, season two, I don't have, like, that 
planned out necessarily. I do think uh, you guys keep saying, Daniel says, you keep saying you'll return to Ether C at some point, but with different characters. Does that mean you're treating Ether C as more of an anthology series where each season we learn even more about the world just through the eyes of different characters? Like, yeah, I, I think that that's, I think the world changed uh, during the first season. And the the U three will play different characters in that world, dealing with those changes. Yeah, um, but it will not be a fully standalone thing. But that said, like I have not even begun to figure out like what what that looks like. And well, since Zooks got turned into Gigantor, I guess so. Well, Zooks got I turned more I into it... a like a like a Eva unit like Mecha shit, which uh, I'm. Also I think it, and I don't want to speak too much on this because we haven't had these conversations much internally, but I, I feel like think less of think less about what this means for ether C specifically, because I think this is a better reflection of like how we want to think about these worlds um, like going forward. Like we've made quite a few of them this time. And I don't think we necessarily want to start from scratch every single time we start a new arc. Right. So the idea that these are worlds we can return to rather than, you know, this this sweeping epic that we do and then land perfectly and then never never return to again return until to. we do the graphic novel adaptation until we exactly do the right the breakfast cereal the toilet paper and um, so for the next season we'll be doing all Sherlock Holmes's and one of those yeah. Sherlock Holmes's is a vampire <laughs> for eighty five episodes we we don't have E three C season two planned out we do have the next two things that we're doing settled on and one of those things already fully recorded uh so before we get into that the lead-in is we're going back to weekly there will be a live show next week which i think is just us two uh that we did that we did at san diego comic-con y'all the one that the live show that ran this week was the gorgon ramsey one that i literally have ejected from my mind. Yeah, completely forgotten. Completely so I saw, forgotten uh, about. Lucas Hespin hides art for it, and I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, okay." Of Bobby Mindflay, and yeah, it was so yeah. Good. And then starting after that live show, uh, starting I believe September first, we're going back to dust. Um, yes. We are doing. Yeah. Uh, we have five episodes: an episode zero setup session, and then four episodes of dust with guest star Erica Ishii. Yeah, episodes zero and one are going up on the same day. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how necessary. I, I, I mean, it's up to you if you want to listen to zero or not. We set up our characters and remind everybody the rules of urban shadows. But Yeah, I think you can start with one. Yeah, but I've listened to it. What else do you do? If you don't like listening to this podcast, then why do you listen to this podcast? Yeah. You know so what I mean? Yeah, so we're doing four episodes of that <laughs> dust. It's already recorded. It's done. And frankly... I think it's top notch. It's pretty fucking good. It's good. Yeah. Really yeah. Good. Can I say who I play in it? Yeah, go for it. Uh, I play uh, Indrid Cold. The Mothman is in this one. The world's, <laughs> the, the lines are blurring. My fucking ultimate, ultimate dream. Yeah. Of of the Tazaverse. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta come up with a better name for it. It's all that. happening. It's very fun. We're I think we're all playing new characters except for... Juice, uh, yeah, Justin plays Augustus. Augustus Parsons. Yeah. What about the cat sphere? Because the the real connective tissue is oh, cat salesman. Yeah. So we'll just call it the fe- the f- <laughs> the fila. The f- I'll come up with something. The felinium. 
The Philenium. Ooh, that's good. This very last question is from uh, Sierra. Justin, the people need to know, will you GM? Please, pretty please. I think it would be very fun, even just a short arc. You can take things fairly seriously, but on the surface are always looking for a joke. And I think it would be so amusing to even just do a one-off where the finale is like a punchline. You'd be so good at it. That's from Sierra? And so many others. Okay. Are you convinced him? Yeah. <laughs> Sierra, we've been trying forever. You did it. I'll do one after that. Well, you didn't ask that not kindly. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'll do I didn't one, say after, pretty please, I'll do one yeah. after dust. Like, I very, like, know what it is and everything. I'll we've just do it after it dust. It's fine. And we've yeah, tell people. The characters and... No, no, I don't want to tell them what it, what it is. What? I mean, I'm not going to tell, tell them what it is. Tell them the title? Tell them what game system. Yeah. Like, which, yeah, I, yeah okay, yeah. okay. It's, uh, it's, we're going to be playing Blades in the Dark. By John Harper. Thank you, Travis. From Evil Hat Productions. Thank you, Travis. Um, Blaze in the Dark, if you if you don't know, is is a game about people who do crimes um, and do and do nasty things. Like the player characters in this game are called scoundrels. Like they're bad. They're bad people, and they <laughs> do bad things. And this game is set in a fictional theme resort that is uh, in scope exponentially larger than anything in in our world it is a massive theme city if you will a, a theme city state full of different theme parks within it um in in much the same way that in disney world you have like the animal kingdom and epcot and things like that these are um uh, massive theme parks within this uh city it's all run by one family and think like maybe there's a Westworld area, maybe there's a fantasy area, all, all that kind of stuff. It is a world that is replete with uh, the ultra rich who are there living out their um, incredible fantasies. And uh, our our characters will be uh, people who are just below the surface of that, uh, who are trying to carve out a bit for themselves in this world uh it's called steeplechase um that's the name <laughs> of the park and the arc and it's gonna be nasty it's gonna be i i have felt a little bit hemmed in by the fact that we started with like incredibly noble decent uh heroes and i feel like if there's one thing that's sort of like been consistent arc to arc with limited um uh, variance is that we have basically decent people who we're following. And that may end up being the case here. I'm not sure, but there was an irreverence to early balance where it felt like you could just kind of murder people and it wasn't uh, like a big deal. Um, and I will, I want to push people out of that comfort zone. I want to push these three out of that comfort zone and start to, to get into a little bit of the old nastiness as we as we used to say in college. So it's going to be a nasty story about nasty people in a fantastically beautiful world uh, that none of us could ever afford. So that's Steeplechase, and it'll be coming after Dust Part 2. And Blades in the Dark is a brilliant system, like heist game system. It's weird that, that we've I'm... never done it before. It's so on brand for our stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say real quick too before I forgot. Urban Shadows uh, is the game system for Dust. Uh, it is written by Andrew Medeiros and Mark Diaz Truman. It's by Magpie Games, yeah. and it it's is incredible. One, one of my favorite ones to ever exist. So that's it. A month, a month of Dust, and then on to Steeplechase, which will be a a, a bigger 
season. I don't think Juice is, I don't know that we've talked so much about the scale of it, but it is, we are not. 23 episodes. (laughs) 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 That's if you get the season two pickup, right? Yeah. Well, if you pay for all the bonus, (laughs) we have some, a lot of times it says there's like 27 episodes. Five of that is just like behind the scenes. And there's some web exclusives that you're only going to get. Making ofs. That's Quibi. That's it for this edition of T-Taz. I want to say a, a a huge thank you to everybody who got into E3C this season. It's It was, uh, a, I, I've never been so invested in like a world we have created as quickly as I, I was with this one. And uh, I'm so proud of it and uh, really happy with how it turned out. And thank, thank you all for listening and for listening. Uh, to I wanted to say and, something real quick for it because I don't know if we'll do a T-Taz uh, like, soon uh, but i just want to say how excited we were to work with eric ishii on dust yeah um, if nothing else like it already makes it one of my favorite things we've done and it was just so nice to work with somebody who like responded to my emails quickly and like answered character all right questions thanks for listening everybody manner. here it is here comes the is that real fight that real fight yep. that we talked this is it, um, this is it. remember <laughs> what's our safe world word for the fighting's too real thanks as always for listening to us um you know with these two new things coming up if you enjoy taz this is weird we like never talk about this but uh if you would like tell some people like hey you know remember you've said listen to that podcast a bunch and you said it's not for you well they're doing something different maybe you'll like that you know what i mean like just that helping spread the word about the show uh would really we appreciate it yep so if you enjoy it you know please do that All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thanks. Bye. 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 MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.